eBay Motors is here for the ride. Elbow grease and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Shereen, there's a guy named Vince who anytime we talk about the Cowboys will email me and cuss me out. I got three of them from him today. Three during the segment, yeah. And I always just respond, hey, good morning, Vince. Glad you're watching. You know, on a Friday, there's a chance that that Vince is Chris Sims, although it's 7 a.m. Eastern time. I would wager a significant amount of money that Christopher David Sims is fast asleep right now, not watching us or anything else. If you're watching us, that means you have Peacock. Hello, good morning. Well, if you're watching us live. A little bit later in the day at Sky Sports, we're closer and closer to primetime on the new Sky Sports NFL channel, or you're listening on Sirius XM 211. Shereen Williams here today with me as we are six days away from the start of the regular season. And Vince, good morning, Vince. Please feel free. The real Vince or the fake Vince, please feel free to send in your profane emails. Everyone else, you're invited to send your profane profane or propane emails as well to Florio at profootballtalk.com. I'll shut up now and say good morning to Shereen. Good morning, Mike. And how did you like that preseason? I absolutely loved it that it finished last night. It just flew by. It's almost like it didn't even happen. (laughs) It did. It really did, didn't it? I didn't miss it at all, I have to say. It was fun not having any preseason games. Well, I'll tell you what. I missed one specific thing, and Sims and I have talked about this. I love being able to see the rookie quarterbacks, especially the quarterbacks, but the other rookie players, the guys we've been focused on, that we've been talking about. I want to see them in uniform. I want to see, do they pass the eyeball test? How do they look? Are they ready to make an impact? You know, do they stand out positively or negatively? I remember when Robert Smith was a rookie out of Ohio State years ago with the Vikings. He just didn't look comfortable in an NFL uniform on an NFL field. And, you know, later he got very comfortable, became one of the better running backs in the NFL. But I want to see how these guys are right out of the gates. And last year, one of your favorite quarterbacks in the NFL, Kyler Murray, he looked the part right out of the gates. And, uh, and, it, and it led to him winning the NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year, even though, you know, he played for a team that no one really cared about. So that's the one thing I really miss. What would Joe Burrow look like? Some of these new players in new cities, 
in new uniforms. You, you, it's going to be so jarring next week when all of a sudden all these games are going to start being played and we're going to see all these different players in different places and Tom Brady and Gronk and everyone else who changed teams and it's all just going to start at once. Oh, and by the way, there's not going to be any fans in the stands at most of the games. It's just, There's a very weird few days that is coming very soon. Well, it's almost like college football when we start right up. But one thing I didn't miss, Mike, is injuries. We we just didn't seem to have the amount of injuries that we normally have because we didn't have the hitting. No teams or most teams aren't hitting right now. So I don't think we missed having all those injuries. And, we you know, we did have a few in, in practice, but we didn't have nearly as many as we would have had if, if there were games. Derwin James, the Charger Strong Safety, the biggest of the names knocked out for the yeah. full year. Not a lot of significant names placed on injured reserve before the season even began. But, you know, my concern, Shereen, we get to week one and it's go time. Are these guys ready to withstand the physical toll that is going to be part of playing football for real, tackling to the ground, hitting on every play when you haven't possibly been hitting the way that you would have or maybe should have because coaches have been with everything else they're trying to balance between the pandemic and guys who didn't have offseason programs. Are guys going to be ready to go out there week one and go full speed and have their bodies withstand that beating? So even though we haven't had the injuries yet, I'm going to be holding my breath through the month of September for maybe more injuries than we've seen in the past in the early games of the season. Yeah, and maybe some soft tissue injuries, too, that we haven't seen as much of in the past. But, you know, we, we've heard Ben Roethlisberger talk about taking that first hit, which he didn't get to do in the preseason. Normally, qu starting quarterbacks don't do that a lot anyway, but he's ready for that first hit to get it over with. And, you know, Daniel Jones, take the red jersey off. Don't take the red jersey off. It's a decision that Joe Judge has to make, whether to get him hit a little bit, banged up, as it were, in practice, or wait until that first regular season game. It is going to be a different year, no question about that. Colleges and high schools seem to do it just fine. Of course, they probably, I would think, tackle maybe a little bit more uh, in the preseason and their preseason work than what the NFL does. But it is going to be an interesting start to the season with us not having had preseason games. And what we're going to expect from these rookies, as you said, none of these rookies we got to see. I did go to the Cowboys scrimmage on, on Sunday, but of course without numbers you couldn't tell who all the guys were. But I am excited to see guys like CeeDee Lamb and some of those guys that we haven't seen before on an NFL field. It is going to make the early weeks of the season even more interesting than they ordinarily would have been. And here's the thing. Last year, even though we had an offseason program and a preseason, there were still some significant injuries early in the season. And one guy who was injured in preseason playing in New England as the starting quarterback of the Panthers, and that injury continued to get worse until he was shut down for the full season after a Thursday night debacle against Tom Brady's Buccaneers, Cam Newton. Now the starting quarterback of the New England Patriots. It was reported yesterday afternoon he'd be the starter. The team didn't announce he'd be the starter. What the team announced is he's one of the captains. There's no way he's one of the captains if he isn't the starter. You don't make a guy who may be benched or a guy who's got a tenuous grip on the starting job or a guy who isn't number one on the depth chart a team captain. Look, this Cam Newton experiment, Shireen, has gone exactly the way that, that the Patriots had hoped the way that the rest of the AFC East and the rest of the conference had feared, and the way that I think we all agreed 
if Cam Newton is healthy, it could go. The real question with Cam Newton, is he healthy? And I think that there were so many teams out there that, that you know, their quarterback position is set. But their starting quarterback, when healthy, isn't nearly as good as Cam Newton when healthy. And I think that's one of the reasons why there wasn't the interest. Is he healthy? Do we want to go down this path of upsetting our quarterback apple cart? And it all came down to the Patriots late June, out of nowhere, in they come, they signed Cam Newton, and so far, so good. Now, it may all change when the games are played, but I think at this point, everything we've seen, everything he's done, everything that's been said, the superlatives that have been foisted upon him by Coach Bill Belichick, it's been a rousing success so far. Yeah, Mike, this is a Super Bowl MVP, uh, a league MVP who started a Super Bowl. This is a very accomplished quarterback that they got for next to nothing. It's an incentive-laden deal with a maximum of $7.5 million if he does everything you expect. And, and look, the Patriots will gladly pay that if, if he wins league MVP and they go to the Super Bowl and, and all of that. I mean, it's truly been a great year for, for the Patriots, and they've made a seamless transition uh, but, yeah, he, he was always expected to win this job. That's why they signed him. I mean, Jarrett Stidham, for all their talk in the offseason, we're going to be okay with Jarrett Stidham. We're going to be okay with Jarrett Stidham. I mean, this guy's made four passes in his career. You don't know what you have in Jarrett Stidham. And the fact that Jarrett Stidham went to the hospital, I think Cam really seized that time. Up until that point, they were splitting snaps, the three of the quarterbacks, Brian Hoyer, Jarrett Stidham, and Cam Newton. And then Jarrett Stidham went to the hospital for that leg injury that appeared to be okay once he went to the hospital, have it checked out. But Cam seized that time and seized the starting quarterback job just as we all thought he would. And he is the most accomplished of those three guys, and he's going to start off as the guy. Can he stay healthy? That's the big question. Yeah, and I think part of the goal all along was to prod Cam Newton, not to just be better than Jarrett Stidham and Brian Hoyer, but to be Cam Newton, to be incredibly great, to be the guy that he was in 2015 when he won the league MVP award. And, you know, it's a long time ago, and it's been a long time since we've seen healthy Cam Newton. And I think that's the counterbalance to how well everything has gone on paper, on film, not that we have any that we have access to, but the Patriots looking at everything he's done, feeling good about it, when it's time to go out there and play, when it's time to go out there and potentially get hit, what are the Patriots doing by way of constructing an offense that maybe doesn't put him in harm's way, that doesn't yield to the temptation to have him jump over the top of the pile at the one-yard line, take advantage of that incredible physical stature, and remember that this is a guy whose 2018 season was ultimately destroyed by an injured shoulder 2019 the foot got him early and the foot ended up taking him down in week two it's been a long time since we've seen cam newton firing on all cylinders and the patriots need to have a plan shireen in order to ensure that he'll be healthy whether it's teaching him how to avoid contact when he's in the passing game how to avoid contact when he's running the football maybe he's not going to have a lot of designed runs but i think And look, we got to give Bill Belichick the benefit of the doubt here. He's smart enough to understand it. If we understand it, he clearly understands it at a much higher level than we do. You've got to keep this guy healthy, or it is going to be Jared Stidham or Brian Hoyer playing quarterback this year. Yeah, that, that's the key for Cam Newton. We've known that the last two years he hasn't been healthy, and the Panthers weren't very good, which is why they moved on from him 
uh, this season and saw it a different quarterback and a different way to go. And, you know, it seems like every year in Cam Newt's career, we're talking about, all right, he's got to get down, he's got to slide, he's got to protect himself. And hopefully over the last two years, being injured first with the shoulder and then with the foot, that he's learned that, that he's an older, more mature quarterback. I hope I hope we all learn those things, Mike, as we mature and get older and, and learn to be better and wiser at, at things. And, you know, it's time for Cam Newton to do that, to get out of harm's way and get rid of the football. But Tom Brady was very good in that offense of getting rid of the football, and Cam Newton's got to be the same thing because they need him on the field. I don't think they're the same team with Jarrett Stidham, with Brian Hoyer, a journeyman. I think they have to have Cam Newton if they want to continue to be the team that they've been, which is a dominant team in the AFC East and a dominant team in the AFC, a contender every single year. And I think Bill Belichick thinks he can be that team. He can be a contender in the AFC. One thing I was told several weeks ago when Josh McDaniels was the head coach in Denver, and remember he drafted Tim Tebow in 2010, he had begun constructing an offense for Tim Tebow. And even though McDaniels wasn't there, by the time Tebow became the starter and the following year somehow led the Broncos the final eight, an offense was put together that is conducive to a mobile quarterback that that keeps him out of harm's way with the designed runs. You now look, the blocking is going to be a key part of it, but the way McDaniels put it together a decade ago, the thinking is if they can learn it and execute it properly, that's one of the things that will help keep Cam Newton healthy. But but that's the key. And you know, we're gonna get caught up in how great Cam looks, and he's gonna be healthy until he isn't, but that's gonna be the key. Can he keep what has been happening going by staying out of harm's way, by staying healthy, and and who knows, maybe earning every penny of that $7.5 million. And if he earns every penny of that $7.5 million, it will be the greatest Gladly deal that any it. team has ever, ever, ever done. Because it will mean, as a practical matter, he's been the regular season MVP and the Super Bowl MVP. That's how he's that's his path as a practical matter to $7.5 million. And then they have the proverbial good problem to have next year when they try to figure out how to pay him for 2021 because he's going to want to be paid for what he did in 2020 if all those things happen. We'll talk more about Cam Newton and the Patriots later in the program with our good friend Tom Curran of NBC Sports Boston. For now, let's turn gears to one of the highest profile remaining free agents, a guy who was linked to Cam Newton through March, April, May, and June because a significant player, a great player, a former number one overall pick in the draft, still can't find work. Jadavian Clowney, available to be signed by anyone still. And Jadavian Clowney, still not employed by an NFL team. We talked about him earlier this week, Shireen, in the aftermath of the Yannick Ngakwe trade because I have a very basic analysis that I'm still trying to resolve. If the Vikings pay $12 million for this year, plus give up a second-round pick, which some in league circles will say is worth $8 million when you're talking about the value of a trade. So that's $20 million right there. And then another pick on top of it, a fifth rounder or up to a third rounder in 2022. What What is Clowney worth? And, you know, if Clowney's healthy, and again, this is the Cam Newton dilemma, if healthy, Jadavian Clowney is one of the most disruptive forces in the NFL. And there are now reports that the Saints are pursuing Jadavian Clowney, the Titans and the Seahawks still interested you know, I think what this comes down to is how much money does Jadavian Clowney really want? How much will he play for? What is his bottom line below which he says, screw it, I'm not going to sign a contract, I'm not going to go out there and play? 
and and I think that's one of the reasons why he currently doesn't have a job with an NFL team. But as we get closer and closer to Week One, and he's looking at game checks he may lose, I think that that it you know maybe it is inevitable that he's going to pick his best spot and go. And he's got to do it now because he's got to pass COVID protocols. He's got to pass a physical, which we know he had the core muscle surgery in the offseason. So he's got to do it now. And I think this was always the intent after he didn't get the big contract he expected early in free agency was to sit out training camp and sign before this first week. But it's got to be now. It's got to be this weekend if he's going to play in that first game and be disruptive, as you said which he can against the pass. His greatest play ever, of course, was against the run. We remember it in college when he just crushed uh, the Michigan running back, the Michigan great running back, and just killed him. Um, but he, he's very, very good against the run as well as the power. He thinks of him as a pass rusher. Shoot, he had three and a half sacks last season. So he's as good against the run as he is against the pass and sometimes better against the run than he is against the pass. But how good would this make the Saints if they can get yet another pass rusher to go with Davenport, to go with Cam Jordan? This, to me, would make the Saints right up there. If they're, they're already the favorites, I think, in the NFC. But if they get this guy, too, and playing Tom Brady, I, I, I really like their chances to get after the quarterback. Let, let me be cynical and conspiratorial as it relates to what the Saints are doing here. It very well could be yeah. that as part of the bargaining with Alvin Kamara, the Saints running back, the argument will be, hey, Alvin, we got this money budgeted for you, and if you don't want it, we're going to spend it on Jadavian Clowney. So you, you, better, you better say yes to this deal because the money's going away. I recall there was a time, I think it was the Steelers way back in 2012, they were trying to sign Mike Wallace. Remember him? It's amazing. He's just yeah. another example of one of these guys who was a great player, and then when he's gone, you have to stop you and forget about Yeah, him. I remember Mike Wallace, but Mike Wallace wanted a contract, and Mike Wallace rejected what the Steelers were offering him. So the Steelers said, fine, we'll give it to Antonio Brown instead. Uh, and even though we're talking about guys at two different positions, I, 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 it, it, look, we, we've been around the game long enough to know that things like this happen, that, that coaches will use whatever they have at their disposal to get a guy to do what they want the guy to do. They want Alvin Kamara to sign, and it would not surprise me if the Saints are feigning interest in Jadavian Clowney as part of a broader, hey, Alvin, if you don't sign, we are, we are paying someone else with the money that otherwise would go to you. So the money that otherwise would go to you is going nowhere, and we're going to have to revisit this next year. So now, let's, let's set aside that possibility and assume that they are interested in Jadavian Clowney, that they truly may make a run at him. Uh, I, I wonder on one level whether or not it shows they, they, they have concerns about Marcus Davenport, a guy they gave up a lot of trade capital to get in the first round a couple of years ago or whether this is just let's fashion a rotation of guys who are just going to destroy opposing offensive lines either way you know whoever gets to Devian Clowney if it's a contender it it definitely bumps them up a level or two and how we're going to look at that team's prospects for 2020 yeah no doubt about it if the Titans end up with him he's probably their best pass rusher despite the fact that he had three and a half sacks Last season, I think he fits right in in Tennessee and makes them a better defense uh, for Mike Vrabel and what he can do with, with Davion Clowney because he's had him before in Houston. He was there when he was there, so he knows what he's getting in Jadavion Clowney, and I think the Titans are a pretty good team, but he makes them even better, and I think it's the same with Seattle. I think he goes in there and makes them 
a better team with the pass rush. And despite the fact, again, that he only had three and a half sacks, they feel like he was disruptive last year. They liked him. They wanted him back. But they wanted him back at their price. And and they weren't going to pay any more than $15 million, And he may make less than $15 million now after turning down that deal. And, Shereen, you keep mentioning that he only had three and a half sacks. And while that's factually accurate, it shows that you are not sufficiently versed in the statistic that Chris Sims has created. We've submitted it to the Elias Sports Bureau in the hopes that they will make it part of the official menu of NFL statistics. It's the F up the play stat. It's the thing that doesn't manifest <laughs> and he has itself that. Yeah, in a tackle or a sack or an interception or a fumble. But what he does is he blows such a hole in what the offensive line is trying to do that it's just a jailbreak to the ball by other guys. And that's what Jadavian Clowney does. Whatever the offensive line and the rest of the offense are planning to do, when he is firing on all cylinders, he can destroy that and F up the play, as Chris would say. And I think the best example of it was last year, the Monday night game between the Seahawks and the 49ers, how dominant he was. Now he had, I think he had, didn't he have a touchdown in that game? He had an interception interception return for a touchdown. Yeah, interception. Yeah. But, but, but beyond that, it's what he does play in and play out to just completely disrupt everything and anything an offense is trying to do. The question with him is staying healthy. And also you've got to manage him in practice. And that's what Pete Carroll, the Seahawks coach was good at. This isn't a guy who needs a lot of practice. This is the guy who needs to be handled physically. And last year, remember, he was unsigned as a franchise tag player with the Texans. He wasn't part of the offseason program, wasn't part of training camp, signed his franchise tender at a slight reduction from 15.97 down to 15, was traded to the Seahawks this weekend, Labor Day weekend of last year, and still was an impactful player for most of the season until he developed the core muscle problem, the the uh, the sports hernia, whatever whatever term they use now. There's so many different terms for a hernia, but he had that issue and he played with it, and it first really popped up in the game against the 49ers on that Monday night, and he managed it the rest of the year. But you know the Seahawks are still interested. Let's hear from Pete Carroll, the head coach of the team, acknowledging that even though he's still out there, he's still available. The team that employed him last year still has interest in employing him this year. Here's Pete Carroll from yesterday. Are you guys still in contact with Jadavian Clowney at all? Is there still is the door still open on, on him at all? Always or? competing. Always competing. Always competing. I mean, that's you know, thank you, Pete. But yeah, I mean, they haven't closed the door, <laughs> and uh, and 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 they shouldn't close the door. But here's the thing: how much will they pay? Remember, there's that weird little device in free agency where if the guy is still unsigned at the time the window for compensatory draft picks closes, you can do the tender to continue to hold his rights. And if he does go somewhere else, you still get compensatory draft pick consideration. That's what the Giants did with Marcus Golden. And the rule is you have to offer the guy 10% more than what his salary was last year. So the Seahawks could have squatted on Jadavian Clowney for $16.5 million. They decided that's too much. And I've heard that for Clowney, he refuses to play at $15 million or less. Now, will that change this weekend? I don't know, but the posture all along has been he's not signing for 15 or less. The Browns reportedly wanted him for 15. So that's kind of where it has stood. But, Shereen, everything changes now because we're getting to the point where whatever your salary is, 
every week that goes by when you're not on the team is a significant chunk of money that you've lost forever and is never coming back. So I'm starting to feel like whether it's the Seahawks, the Titans, the Saints, or someone else swoops in out of nowhere to sign Jadavian Clowney, I'm starting to feel like we're getting close to the point where it's got to happen and it's going to happen. And it just feels like the, the, the clouds are gathering for that, uh, for that Clowney signing to happen. And we're talking about these three teams being interested. I mean, we heard Saints are all-out blitz, whether that's true or not, as you said, whether they, they're using that for bargaining chip for uh, Alvin Kamara or not, whatever. But uh, this all-out blitz, the Titans have apparently been in on Jadavion Clowney, talked to him all along, been interested in him all along, and, and the Seahawks have left that door open. But is there the potential there for another team to come out of nowhere and swoop in and decide that, Jadavion Clowney is the guy that's going to make a difference for us. I don't see one off the top of my head, but do you think there's another team that could swoop in there and end up with Jadavion Clowney? After what the Patriots did with Cam Newton, I have been keeping an eye on them when it comes to any of these free agents who are still out there, whether it's Earl Thomas, Jadavion Clowney. I thought they'd make a run at Leonard Fournette. There was a report that they were interested. I still think that that was false, and it was aimed at getting the Buccaneers to make the move. And that's the other side of this, too. Will there be, floated by Clowney's camp at some point this weekend, a report that the Patriots are interested in Clowney just to get the deal done with <laughs> someone else? But, but yeah, I think you, you pick any contending team, and they have to ask themselves, if they have the cash and cap space, yeah. and Look, if they don't have the cap space, they can they can find a way to create some. It's not all that hard to do. It's it's a cap problem like a math problem. You sit down with a compass and a ruler and a pencil and you figure it out. And most teams can figure it out and make it all fit under the cap. But yeah, and if I'm clowny and look how long he's been in the NFL, at some point you want to put yourself in a position to pursue a championship. So yeah. you know it won't surprise any team. I'm 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 braced at this point. For any team that we loosely consider to be a playoff team popping up out of nowhere and getting this deal done. And beyond the playoff teams, I've seen some talk that the Jaguars, with all that money that they have saved by moving on from uh, Yannick Ngakwe and trading him, that maybe the Jaguars would make a run at Jadavian Clowney, which some people would say, why didn't you just keep Ngakwe? Well, Ngakwe didn't want to be there. That's why he didn't keep him. And look, there, I've talked to a bunch of different people about it, and the, and the opinions are mixed as to whether or not Clowney is better than Ngakwe. But I think that people would admit that if Clowney is healthy, and if you know he's going to be healthy, you'd much rather have him than Yannick Ngakwe. And that gets back to my original point. If the Vikings are paying $12 million plus giving up a second-round pick, plus another pick to get Ngakwe, what does that translate to for a free agent that you don't have to give a, a draft pick to go sign? And it doesn't affect your compens compensatory draft pick consideration. I really do feel like he should be able to get more than $15 million and that's what he's wanted. And uh, if more teams get to the table, that's just going to drive up the, the possibility he's going to get that number, Shireen. Yeah, and I think he would probably get more to go to Jacksonville, but why would if if you're Jadavion Clowney, why would you want to go to Jacksonville? I'm just saying you you want to go win a championship and you're signing a one year deal anyway, and the place to go is one of the three teams we mentioned, Seattle, Tennessee, or New Orleans. So Jacksonville to me just seems a far fetched 
reality unless they come in and just offer way more than any other team and you know he's going there for the money and the potential to show something that to other teams so he can hit free agency in 2021 and go hey all right now pay me you didn't pay me last year now pay me you've seen what i can do but he would have to have that really huge year in jacksonville uh, to get that money but i i think it's going to be one of those three teams we talked about and i I, I just, for some reason, really think it's going to be Tennessee. I, with Vrabel, and they've been in this thing all along, um, the, they could have gotten this deal done a long time ago. They didn't, but I still find that somehow, some way, I, I think Tennessee's going to get this deal done, and we're going to look at Tennessee as the favorite in that division. I'll go back to something that Chris and I discussed earlier this week in the aftermath of the Ngakwe trade. And, you know, Sunday morning, we wake up to the news that Ngakwe will be traded to the Vikings. And you have a reaction to that. It's like, wow, hey, the Vikings are making their move. And Chris's reaction, if we had changed Yannick Ngakwe to, J- to Jadavian Clowney, would have been, holy crap, the Vikings are making their move. And I think whoever ends up with Clowney, that's the reaction we're going to have. Holy crap, this team is going for it. They're throwing caution to the wind, and they're going for a potential huge upside, acknowledging that there's a downside possibly that comes along with it. With Josh Gordon, who most recently played for the Seahawks and is now back in Seattle, even though he hasn't been reinstated, it's been more downside than upside during his eight years in the NFL. He was a second-round pick in the supplemental draft in 2012. And in 2013, this is, this is I think, something that has a spot on the PFT bingo card. Josh Gordon had more receiving yards in 2013 than Terrell Owens and Randy Moss ever had in a single season in their entire careers. That's how good he was, and that's how good he can be. The question is, when's he going to be reinstated? He's signed by the Seahawks, which tells me they know something, or they sense something, or they think something, and it's not a huge contract. And Of course, he doesn't get any of the money until he's able to play, but that looming question is out there of when will he be reinstated. And Shereen, I've got strong opinions I always have on whether and to what extent the NFL should care about guys who use non-PED recreational drugs away from work. It shouldn't be the NFL's business. It shouldn't be any employer's concern if it's not affecting the work, if it's not a safety-sensitive job. And that's never been postulated by the NFL as a reason why they do it. They just started doing it 30 or 40 years ago because it was a PR thing. And we're now at a point where marijuana is legal in so many different states, and the league no longer suspends for positive marijuana tests, but they still have this reinstatement protocol for guys who were suspended indefinitely where they've got full discretion, they can take as long as they want, and I feel like it's a power play from the NFL to say to the NFL Players Association, hey, if you want this to change, you got to give us something. And I don't like that. I don't like playing with the lives of men who could maybe solve their addiction problems for good if they were able to come back to work. And I don't like the NFL fans being deprived of great talent like Josh Gordon. I hope he gets reinstated ASAP, and I hope the NFL reinstates all of these guys. Give them all a clean slate, whether it's Randy Gregory, whether it's Martavis Bryant. The only one that's gotten back in is Alden Smith. Let them all back in and let them all live under this new policy, which says you're never going to be suspended for positive tests. Yeah, free Josh Gordon, free Randy Gregory, free all of them. 
uh, for, for what they've been under. And we've certainly seen, as you said, what Josh Gordon can do on a football field when he's out there. The problem's been is he, he's been on a team. He's been off a team. He's been on a team. He's been off a team because of suspensions. It's just on, off, on, off. And, the, and you know, I think he's better in a locker room and better in a regiment and having somewhere to go and, and all of those things that you do on a football team and being around other guys. I think that's good for guys like that. I, I think that helps keep them on the straight and narrow more so than being out on their own and trying to do it themselves. And so I hope they are reinstated, all of them, Randy Gregory and Josh Gordon and whoever else is out there that that needs to be uh, reinstated. But I hope they all get another chance to, to get back in the league. They should, and it should have already been done, and Josh Gordon should get his chance uh, to come back and play for the Seahawks again. And we've seen what he can do. He just seems to be out there consistently week after week after week, year after year after year, and he's missed way too many games over the last few years that we haven't seen the same uh, Josh Gordon that we saw in 2013, and I think that's the reason for it. He just hasn't been around enough to get that consistency, get that coaching, do everything that he needs to do to be the great player he was in 2013. And one last point on the way out the door here. You know, I wish the NFL would show these players greater compassion because I think that would help – the fans show greater compassion and greater understanding that these are human beings who have the same human weaknesses, the same human frailties, the same human challenges that everyone else has. And when you consider the pressure they're under at such a young age to perform, to walk into a stadium with 80,000 people who hate you, to have to deal with social media who only cares about what you can do for their fantasy teams, it's going to cause them to seek refuge in things that, may, that allow them to escape the stress, the intense stress that they're under. And uh, I, I just wish that that folks would understand that. And I think if the NFL did a better job of understanding it, maybe fans would give these guys more of a break too and realize that at the core they're no different than the rest of us. All right, let's take a break. Uh, NFC contenders have some secondary questions and could there be an opening with an NFC contender for Earl Thomas? More PFT Live right after this. Um, as far as the corner spot, you know, Kyle, uh, obviously, he's heavily involved and he's got, um, uh, we're evaluating it every day. And, and when Kyle, Coach Shanahan is ready to pull the trigger, he'll pull the trigger. So, um, but as of now, it's, it's still a work in progress. 49ers have one of the great cornerbacks of recent years on uh, one side of the field. On the other side, they don't know who they're going to have. And, you know, it's Richard Sherman really has tightened his grip on that defense. And, you know, there was talk a year ago that if Jason Verrett had worked out well for the 49ers in training camp in the preseason, the 49ers may have moved on from Richard Sherman. I don't know if he caught wind of that and that motivated him to play at a higher level, but but he's really had this career rebirth. But if you only have one starting corner that you feel good about and the other one you don't and you don't know who it's going to be, you know, they're just going to throw to that side of the field. You got to have two guys who can play or they're going to they're going to exploit the one guy that's viewed as a weakness. And I don't know where they're going to go, but uh, it's something that they need to be concerned about if they want to slow down opposing offenses this year, Shereen. Yeah, poor Jason Verrett. I mean, I watched him at TCU, and he came into the league, and he got hurt. And then his second year, he made the Pro Bowl, and, and he looked great, just like they thought he was going to be. And then he got hurt again. And, and that's been the story for him 
you know, with the Chargers, he, he just couldn't get back on the field and couldn't return to being the guy he was. And now suddenly he has a hamstring injury again. By all accounts, he looked really good in training camp, and now he's hurt again. Who knows how long he'll be out. But the guy just just can't stay on the field. He's played less than 30 games in his career, and we've kind of forgotten about who he is. But Emmanuel Mosley won that job last year and started at the end of the year. And, you know, you think that's going to be the guy. They have a lot of choices there. But I, I, I think they would love Verrett to win that job, but he just can't seem to stay healthy. So it's probably going to end up being uh, Emmanuel Mosley starting opposite Richard Sherman, but I think it's still a big question mark for, for the 49ers. If I'm looking at their team, that's probably one of the question marks I have for them, and there are very few for that team. And even though Sherman still has great instincts and there have been stories about how he's been picking off Jimmy Garoppolo in practice, in part because he knows the offense so well because they face it all the time, he'll peel away from his receiver and grab the ball as it's heading toward the receiver someone else is covering. We saw it in the postseason. The NFC Championship game, how Devontae Adams got by him. And Sammy Watkins, who said after Super Bowl 54, he studied that tape. He saw what Adams did, and that was what Watkins did to get past Richard Sherman on what ended up being a key play on the go-ahead drive. I mean, if, if you've got a corner that that from time to time is going to get flat-out burned on a deep ball, that's a problem, too, if that's your number one guy. So uh, all the more reason for that that front four. It doesn't matter who's playing corner and safety if your front four is getting to the quarterback so quickly that the quarterback has no chance to even see that there's a guy running down the field wide open. And I think that's where the strength of the 49ers defense is. And and maybe that's the thing that ultimately will will keep Richard Sherman or Emmanuel Mosey or Akilo Weatherspoon, Kawan Williams, Dante Johnson, Jason Verrett, whoever's playing corner from being exposed. They, they, they have very limited time to be exposed because the front four is going to be all over the quarterback. Boy, the, doesn't a great pass rush make your cornerbacks look so much better? I mean, we've seen it year after year after year with, with, with teams, and, and it does make a huge difference. And you don't have to have those great corners if the quarterback doesn't have much time. And, and that's what happens when you play the 49ers defense. You don't have much time against that pass rush. And if those pass rushers stay healthy – Quarterback's not going to have much time, which makes that cornerback opposite Richard Sherman and Richard Sherman look better probably than what they are. Yeah, I agree with you completely. And uh, Nick Bosa, who's week to week with a lower body injury, they need him back. And when I heard week to week last week, I thought, man, he may not be available for week one or maybe beyond. Week to week is not a good sign. And without him, that's a different pass rush altogether. So uh, even though the 49ers were one of the best teams in the NFL last year, they're back at 0-0 zero and zero like everyone else, and they got to start digging. And if, if they've got some weaknesses, and we've seen some injuries as well, particularly at receiver, they just put Tavon Austin on IR yesterday, and they've had other receivers who are injured, and Debo Samuel, there are questions about him. This team just may not be ready to hit the ground running the way that it did last year. The Cowboys... Uh, they they may be hitting the ground running for Earl Thomas now that they've told Ha Ha Clinton Dix to hit the road. What what do you think ultimately contributed to the former first round pick of the Green Bay Packers when Mike McCarthy was there as a head coach for McCarthy to come to Dallas and say, "Yeah, oh, we traded you away when I was when I was in Green Bay. Now we're telling you to get out of here now that I'm in Dallas." Yeah, you know, he didn't win the starting job. He was beaten out by Darian Thompson, the former third-round pick of the Giants, who didn't do anything there. And, it, you know, it, it's a strange situation that Ha Ha Clinton Dix couldn't come in 
and win the starting job, but he didn't do that. And, and so the Cowboys continually have this question at safety as they do a nat, uh, do again this year. And, and they had a chance last year to, to fix this situation in the draft. They had a chance when they drafted Tristan Hill in 2019 in the second round. There were all those safeties sitting there. There were Taylor Rapp was sitting there. And there were three of them. Juan Thornhill was sitting there. And they had a chance to draft one of those safeties who went in the picks right after them. And they didn't do that. They had a chance in a trade. Quandre Jiggs, if you look at what... The, the Seahawks gave up for him. They had a chance to make that trade. Uh, Minka Fitzpatrick, if they didn't, you know, if they wanted to give up the bigger draft comp- uh, compensation to get somebody like that. But they had all these chances to improve their safety position, and they haven't done it. And here they sit. Mike, do you know who their last Pro Bowl safety was? The Cowboys' last Pro Bowl safety. It was so long ago. What, what was it, Charlie Waters? <laughs> I that jokingly, but <laughs> no, maybe I'm he, right. He, yeah. Well, you know who it was? Probably it was Darren Roy Woodson. Williams. And when we th- well, oh, it was yeah. Roy Williams playing with Darren Woodson. And when we, but when we think of Roy Williams, who do we think of? We think of the receiver Roy Williams who played for the Cowboys, not the safety Roy Williams who played for the Cowboys, but it was Roy Williams. It was that long ago. And they just had this, this question mark at that position for so long, and they haven't addressed it. And I think it was why the Tampa 2 defense under Rod Marinelli never lived up to the expectations that they had because you have to have that safety in that defense. You have to have a John Lynch. Who, who's wrecking havoc back there, not making the interceptions, but wrecking havoc. Or you have to have somebody like a Charles Tillman in the secondary with the Bears, which is what he had, who's forcing all those turnovers that Charles Tillman forced uh, back in the day. But they didn't have that at corner or safety uh, when he was there. And they moved by, if you remember, they moved Byron Jones all around. They, they couldn't decide, well, is he a safety? Is he a corner? They started him at safety, and then they moved in a corner. Finally said, all right, we got to leave you at cornerback at when Chris Richard came in. But they've just never gotten that safety position right since Roy Williams. And, and again, they go into a season with a huge question mark at that position again. Poor Roy Williams couldn't even keep his name on the Roy Williams rule. They <laughs> yeah. eventually just called it the horse collar <laughs> tackle right. rule. And they originally called it the Roy Williams rule. He was the reason yeah. why the horse collar tackle became illegal. He broke Terrell Owens' leg back in 2004, knocked him out of the balance of the regular season, postseason, up until the Super Bowl. And he had that great performance, even though the leg was still broken. But yeah, I guess, why are we calling it the Roy Williams rule? Why are we naming it after a receiver? So uh, we just call it the horse collar rule instead. <laughs> Earl Thomas. There, are no, there aren't two Earl Thomases in the NFL. There isn't an Earl Thomas, the receiver, yet. Earl Thomas, the safety, isn't in the NFL does the departure of HaHa Clinton Dix open the door for Earl Thomas, or do the Cowboys continue to stay put? Well, I would say absolutely not. And everything I've gotten in response to asking Cowboys officials, are you interested, are you interested, the answer comes back, no, we're not. Uh, but at the same time, there's only one guy we know in that organization that makes decisions, and he has been known to make decisions against what others want in the organization, and that's Jerry Jones. We've seen it repeatedly. So until Jerry Jones says, no, we don't want Earl Thomas, I don't think you take them out of play for Earl Thomas. But I think others in the organization do not want Earl Thomas, but ultimately, is Jerry Jones going to be talked off this ledge, or is he going to go out there and say, we really need Earl Thomas? And the fact that we're closing in on two weeks since the Ravens abruptly cut Earl Thomas continues to provide proof 
that Thomas isn't regarded by teams as one of the higher-end safeties in the NFL. If he were, he would have been signed as quickly as Leonard Fournette was signed. Fournette, within 24 hours after landing on the free agency market, had a new team. Earl Thomas still waiting, and I have a feeling he's going to continue waiting, and I agree with you, even though Jerry Jones likes to keep the door open because I think Jerry Jones just likes to have any reason whatsoever for people to be talking about the Cowboys. I don't think the Cowboys are going to make that move, and I don't know who's going to make it. Probably the Patriots. Are probably Since they didn't get Leonard Fournette, they'll probably have Earl Thomas and Jadavian Clowney by the time week one rolls around. <laughs> All right, let's take a break. Uh, we've got some fill-in-the-blank next that focuses on, among other things, the question of whether Le'Veon Bell and Adam Gase have truly buried the hatchet. We'll do that when PFT Live continues right after this. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this. How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. The Premier League is built on hope. The hope of discovering a new star. It doesn't take long, but Darwin Nunez the hope of rewriting history. And the hope of continuing a dynasty. Unstoppable week after week. This is the Premier League on NBC, USA and Peacock. It's his job. Nothing's changed for him. And, uh, you know, we just added a heck of a piece of, of, of insurance and uh, see what kind of role he can cut out. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, Rojo's, you know, it's his job. If, if he wins it or loses it, I mean, he's already got it. So he's had to screw it up. So uh, I don't see that happening. Bruce Arians, Buccaneers head coach yesterday, saying that Ronald Jones, a.k.a. Rojo, still the starting running back in Tampa Bay, even though they've added Leonard Fournette to a one-year deal worth up to $3.5 million. Now, initially, the way that his quote was characterized by social media and people who were putting that out there, it's definitely Ronald Jones' job no matter what. When you hear the full quote, well, he'd have to screw it up. And I don't think he will, as Arian said, not me. I don't know if he will or he won't, but the truth is guys screw up their starting jobs all the time. Running backs fumble the ball. If you fumble the ball enough, what happens? They put the backup in. I just can't I I just can't I just think that the, the the Buccaneers went after Leonard Fournette because they thought the Patriots were going to. I really do think at the end of the day that was one of the driving factors in doing it. And it worked from Fournette's perspective. He's now part of that depth chart. Let's play a little well, before we go to fill in the blank, give me your you covered the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. When you saw Shereen that Leonard Fournette was signing in Tampa, what what was your immediate reaction? Well, Mike, you had put that out or, or after Leonard Fournette got cut in Jacksonville and you said, you know, we say the Steelers, who else do you say? And I immediately said the Buccaneers. And I just thought that was a weakness on their team. If you go back to, we talked about the 1,000-yard receivers. 
or thousand yard players that we thought were going to happen. And I said Tampa Bay, and I really didn't know who that third guy might be because I didn't think it would be Ronald Jones. So I thought it would be maybe Gronkowski, but I know he hasn't done that in a while. Well, now I think we have our, our answer. I think they've improved their running back position. So I wasn't surprised at all that it happened because I thought they needed an upgrade there over Ronald Jones. He'd be a good second back, but... You know, he may screw up this thing, and Leonard Fournette may end up being the starter. The the, the analytics crowd despises Leonard Fournette. I've seen more and more evidence to that effect. Yeah. I don't get it. 1,152 rushing yards for a team that did not have a good offense, did not have a good offensive line, 76 catches on top of it for over 500 receiving yards. He had more rushing yards than Joe Mixon, Dalvin Cook, Josh Jacobs, Aaron Jones. I've been saying that all week, and uh, and, and who knows, but... Uh, maybe he will end up being the starter. Maybe they did make that move simply because they thought someone else was going to. But uh, I, I don't. I never. I never put full credence in something a head coach says because there's always some other agenda that's potentially happening. And I don't think you go out and make that move as aggressively and as quickly as you do for Leonard Fournette if you're just pegging him as being a backup, especially when they haven't cut and apparently won't be cutting LaShawn McCoy. They are top-heavy with veterans at the running back position. And who's going to play special teams? I mean, that's going to be one of the game-day dilemmas for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. All right, let's play some fill-in-the-blank. The Buccaneers receiving – or the Buccaneers running back core, not receiving core. The running back core is what, Shereen? I still don't think it's as good as their receiving and tight end core, and I think they're still going to be built around the pass, but I think Leonard Fournette did upgrade them at that position. I mean, he's a you know two-time 1,000-yard running back, something that they didn't have with Ronald Jones, and he's a much better, as you pointed out, pass catcher uh, in the passing game. Uh, than what Ronald Jones is. That's been a deficiency of his, and he also can pick up the blitz very well, which they need with Tom Brady at quarterback there. So I do think they've upgraded, but I still think their their best weapons are outside with Chris Godwin and Mike Evans and uh, Rob Gronkowski and O.J. Howard and, and all those weapons that they have. So I think this is a team that I know coaches like to talk about we're built around the run, but this is a team to me that's going to be built around the pass and kind of supplement it with the run based upon everything you just said I'm going to answer this question by saying the Buccaneers running back core is irrelevant it doesn't matter not that they won't have a role but it doesn't matter who it is because what's going to happen is the defenses are going to be so obsessed with stopping the passing game the holes are going to be there the openings are going to be there when they do run and there are so many running backs out there guys that we maybe have never even heard of you plug them in and I say this all the time Shereen the college programs the major college programs every year generate a guy sometimes two guys who could gain a thousand yards in the NFL if you can block for him if he holds on to the football and if you trust him enough in the passing game to have him pick up blitzers. But there are a ton of guys who can do what Ronald Jones, Leonard Fournette, and LaShawn McCoy can do. They're out there, and it's going to be easier to do it when the defenses are trying to figure out how in the hell do we double Mike Evans and Rob Gronkowski when they're both on the field at the same time. So I think the names, the identity, the depth, all of it, it doesn't matter because whoever's on that team is going to have some great opportunities to gain yardage this year. And uh, if it is Leonard Fournette, maybe people will view him differently than they did during his time in Jacksonville, even though it was a lot harder to gain those yards in Jacksonville than it will be in Tampa Bay. All right, Le'Veon Bell has found it's a lot harder to gain yardage in New York than it was in Pittsburgh. 
Pittsburgh, in part because they don't have the offense around him that they did when he was with the Steelers. Here's Le'Veon Bell talking about his tenuous relationship with Jets coach Adam Gase. You know, ever since I got here, I don't understand why everybody keeps trying to put me and Gase against each other. Like, we're not against each other, so I understand how hard it is to believe that, but <laughs> we actually like each other. Yeah, it wasn't no big of a deal for real. I think it was just miscommunication with, uh, you know, for me, trainers, and Coach Gase. Uh, but I just want to really clear it up for everybody, like, you know, fantasy owners and everybody, you know, my hamstring is fine. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I feel good. Look, here's the reality. This relationship had an issue from the get-go. When the word gets out that Adam Gase didn't want to pay Le'Veon Bell with the Jets paid him, and some twisted that into Adam Gase didn't want Le'Veon Bell. The truth is, he wanted him, but not at $13.5 million a year, especially when the Ravens were not pursuing Le'Veon Bell in that same ballpark. And I think Gase knew it, but Mike McCagnan, the former GM, for a reason, didn't or wasn't willing to accept it and was afraid that the Ravens were going to sign him and they spent all that money. I think that got the relationship off on the wrong foot, Shereen. And then last year when they talked about trading him, that's not going to make the relationship better. So I feel like they're coexisting right now and trying to avoid any skirmishes that wouldn't be good for either of them. But, you know, I I, I don't know. I, I think that, that that relationship is never going to be as good as it could be because it was never good from the get-go. Yeah, and and you're exactly right about that, Mike. And, you know, Le'Veon Bell is outspoken. We know that. We've seen it with various things, even when he was in Pittsburgh. And, you know, he speaks out. He speaks what's on his mind. And what you see is what you get with him. And, you know, I, I think their relationship is as good as it's going to be. Is it good enough to, to, to get them where they want to go? We'll see. I do think he's going to get more chances this year. Uh, and especially in the passing game, I don't think he got that. He had his worst statistical year in his career in a full 16-game season last year. So I think he's going to play better this season. If his hamstring is right, if everything else is right with them, I think we're going to see a different Le'Veon Bell uh, this season. And perhaps Adam Gase changes his opinion of just how good Le'Veon Bell is and if he's worth the money or not. A great running back is the final piece of the puzzle for a great offense, not the starting point unless you're Barry Sanders or – Adrian Peterson in his prime. There's breaking news courtesy of NFL media. And this is a stunner to me. Two years after Washington literally got Adrian Peterson off the couch in late August and he came in and had a thousand yards for them and by all appearances was going to be the top tailback, at least the early down option with Darius Geis gone. NFL media says Adrian Peterson, future first ballot Hall of Famer, has been released by Washington can you believe that, Shireen? Adrian Peterson uh, out. Stunner. Stunner. It, it's an absolute stunner, but it just tells you that they don't think he has anything left. At this point, Mike, I don't think he's going to break Emmett Smith's uh, rushing record for career rushing yards. But, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm very surprised at that. I thought at least he's a guy you keep around in that running back's room, even if he's not playing every single down. You keep him in there to groom your younger running backs. He's been very good at that. But uh, apparently they think he has nothing left, and, and now they're moving on from him. That, that's the surprise of the day so far, and I think we're going to see more of those in the next two days. He's going to leave behind $750,000 in dead money. Uh, they avoided $2.25 million salary that would have become fully guaranteed week one. Uh, and, and 
And, and I, you know, we're, we're kind of scrapping the outline here and focusing on this Adrian Peterson news because he talked not that long ago about the bond he feels with the Washington fans and how he wants to be there for several more years. And he does have his sights set on Emmett Smith's all-time rushing record. And, you know, I, I believe that Frank Gore and Adrian Peterson could both end up with more yards than Emmett Smith. The question is who will give them the opportunities to get the carries and the yardage necessary. You need a team that's willing to employ you. And now that Adrian Peterson's cut that abruptly that quickly, he instantly becomes a free agent. I just wonder where he's going to end up. And let's put him on the list with Earl Thomas and Jadavion Clowney as potential future Patriots. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I think you also list Seattle. I mean, they have this problem at running back. We've seen them bring in these veteran running backs and work out these veteran running backs and, uh, constantly because of the injury to Chris Carson and the other injuries they've had uh, with Penny and some others with their starting running backs. And so I, I think you also have to put Seattle on the list with what they do with veteran players. So that, those are the first teams you immediately look at just because of their history of veteran players to me is New England and Seattle. And I think one of the realities too, you know, uh, apparently they feel good about Bryce Love. Right, the guy who was on scholarship yeah. last year, right. he had the ACL tear. They were waiting and waiting, and they knew when they drafted him. This is a guy who would have been drafted a lot higher if he was healthy. They took a flyer, and 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 again, because we haven't had the preseason, we haven't had joint practices, we haven't been able to see what these guys can do. And maybe Bryce Love is a guy they've kind of kept up their sleeve as a guy who was ready to take off. You don't get rid of Adrian Peterson unless you think you have. A, a replacement unless he really does have nothing left. It really is a stunner, though. 35 years old, he plans to keep going, and now we'll see where he ends up. And uh, it's going to be uh, may maybe the first shot of what will be a very interesting weekend as the cuts approach on Saturday. We have a full hour of PFT Live still to come. We'll be right back. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 